four or five years ago it's been or around that vicinity that it was as if every time you read the newspaper turned on the news however you get it seemed like on a weekly basis sometimes even daily kept hearing somebody come out and admitting the wrong that has been done to them. In this period of time, movie stars were accused of misconduct. News media was accused of misconduct. The Me Too movement became very known around this time. And one of the men that was accused, maybe you've never heard of him, his name was Steve Wynn. So I, I did what we do. I went to our modern day encyclopedia, Google. I typed in his name and Steve Wynn is quite an amazing man and a story that I read just captivated my curiosity. Steve Wynn is an American real estate businessman and he is an art collector. Mr. Wynn is known for his involvement in the American luxury casino and hotel industry. Early in this man's career, he oversaw the construction and the operation of several notable Las Vegas and Atlantic City hotels, including the Golden Nugget, the Golden Nugget Atlantic City, the Mirage, Treasure Island, Bellagio. He played a pivotal role in the resurgence and expansion of the Las Vegas Strip in the 1990s. Steve Wynn is also an avid private collector of fine and expensive art, often exhibiting pieces by such artists as Picasso. There is a church that we preach at often in the city of Vegas and driving through Vegas many times as we have Steve Wynn's fingerprints are all over that city. Two hotels that have his name, Wynn Resorts, are, are the locations that you can find these very expensive and elaborate pieces of art. One of Mr. Wynn's favorite paintings was done by Picasso. It was called the Larev. 
The name Larev by interpretation is the dream. He inquired it in a private cell in 2001 from an anonymous collector who had bought it at an auction in 1997 for the low price of $48.4 million. However, a few years ago, when decided that he's had the painting long enough and he wanted to sell it, a friend of his, the hedge fund Margul and avid collector Stephen Cohen had coveted this Larev for years. So he and Mr. Wynn worked out a deal. Cohen agreed to pay $139 million for it. It was the highest known price ever paid for a work of art. But it doesn't matter how much you can get for it. Never sell your dream. What we need in the kingdom now is more dreamers. We need less people talking about how it used to be and more people declaring what God's about to do. The problem with the dream is not everybody's on board with your dream. In fact, the ones closest to you are usually the ones not on board. Ask Joseph, who was the ones that hated him for the dream? It wasn't the enemy, it was his brothers. And his brothers hated the dream so much that they plotted a way to kill Joseph. But if Joseph dies, the dream dies. If the dream dies, the future dies. If the dream dies, the possibility of fulfillment dies. So when his brothers was out on the field by themselves and Jacob, the father, admonished Joseph to go to where they were, when Joseph was coming, not when he was there, but when they saw him walking toward them, they said, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Your enemies know who the dreamers are among us. And they said, we don't like his dream. We don't like his ambition. We don't like where we feel like he's taken the family. So let's make sure we, we do something to kill Joseph and end the dream. But one spoke up named Judah. And Judah said, what? Prophet is it if we slay our brother instead of killing him let's dig a pit let's throw him in the pit and 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 some some wild beast will come along that's that's what Reuben said to do but Judah said it does no good if we get nothing if that happens but there's a band of Israelites coming down the road and instead of killing him 
let's sell him as a slave. You may say that was harsh and that was mean. But again, if Joseph dies, the dream dies. If Joseph dies, the future dies. If Joseph dies, the possibility dies. So something had, had to happen. Something had to take place in the life of Joseph that made him go from a dreamer to the reality of the dream. And it would not have happened by the hands of Reuben. The dream would have died. But what kept the dream going? What kept the dream living? What kept the dreamer living? What kept tomorrow's bright is when the dreamer got in the hands of Judah. Praise does more than just bring God on the scene. It's got the way of keeping your faith going. It's got ways of keeping your dream kicking. It's got ways of keeping your testimony being declared. That's why we need more praisers because we need more dreamers. We need somebody saying this is not as good as it gets. Our best days are not behind us. What Come on, where we're going is not where we've been. The best is yet to come. God's about to blow our minds. How do you do it? Get in the hands of a praise. Get in the hands of a spirit of praise. Praise Judah. We'll keep it going. $139 million for this Larev. Hands were shook, contract was signed, deal was made. Steve Wynn is a very lavish man that always looks for reasons to throw a party. So when the deal was made, Steve Wynn decided one last time to exhibit this painting in his penthouse for that weekend after the deal was made. Mr. Wynn brought in movie stars. He brought in politicians. He brought in rock stars, invited them all to his penthouse. And there, with all the excitement going on and the painting being in the middle of the floor for all to see, the music was loud. Everybody was having their fun. Mr. Wynn decided to give one last speech about how he purchased the painting, how he's cherished the painting, how he's had it for years. But Mr. Wynn was in front of the painting with his back against it. Steve Wynn has trouble seeing out of the peripheral vision. He's a very flamboyant man that's always animated, so he's swinging his arm. While backing up, he's 
talking about how wonderful the painting was without realizing how close to it he is. So all of the sudden, his elbow, you could go read it, hit the painting, and there was a distinct ripping sound that happened. Mr. Wynn turned around and saw this $139 million painting now had a hole in it. Mr. Wynn told his guest, well, at least I did it and not you. But now the phone call has to be made. He has to call his good friend Stephen Cohen to explain what had just happened. You can find also online the article where Mr. Cohen is talking about the phone call. Mr. Cohen said when when my friend Steve Wynn called me and told me what had happened, Steve Wynn told me, you got two choices. You can go ahead and purchase the painting and file it in with the insurance and maybe get the money back, or I can buy it back from you for what you paid. Stephen Cohen said he knew immediately what he would do because Steve Cohen was a collector of art but Steve Wynn was a lover of art. Mr. Cohen said, I knew if I would have bought that painting, then I would have done just that, filed it in on the insurance, got the money back, threw it in a closet, and nobody would ever see it. But if I put it back in the hands of the one that loves it, he will do everything he can to fix the damage. We're going somewhere. Just stay put. So Steve Wynn buys the painting back, but now he's got the responsibility to scour the world looking for somebody who can restore this damaged piece of art. He looked far and wide and for a while and finally he found somebody that is known as a art surgeon. Picks up his phone, calls the art surgeon, explains what's happening, tells him who he is. And the art surgeon says, I will have to see the painting before I can make a diagnosis if it can be fixed or not. So Mr. Wynn gets in his private jet, flies to this art surgeon's house with this $139 million painting that's damaged and punctured. He takes the painting in the room, the house of the art surgeon. He explains how this has happened, how the painting now has a hole and the art surgeon very carefully looks at the painting, looks at it front and back and, and after, after a while examining the damage 
the art surgeon tells Mr. Wynn, I can fix it. He said, in fact, I can fix it so well that nobody will be able to tell it was ever damaged as long as they view it from the front. But, but Mr. Wynn, I've got to be honest, if anybody ever looks at the back of the painting, they will be able to tell that there was a tear and a hole that was fixed. But as long as they don't look at the back, they just look at the front, they will think everything is okay with it. You see, some of you only look at preachers from the front. You only look at saints from the front. And you think we've never been hurt and we've never been damaged and we've never been punctured and we have no wounds. That must be why we can live for God so easy. Honey, you're judging us from the wrong side. We got some wounds and we got some tears and, and we've, been, we've been messed up and we've been done wrong and we've been cheated. The difference is, at least for me, I refuse to be held hostage by somebody's hurt. Don't you tell me that we got all the breaks and it's us, it's easy for us to live for God. Oh no, we got to die daily. We got to examine ourselves every day. Come on, come on. It's no easier for us to live for God than it is for you. The difference is we don't walk with our back to everybody. The art surgeon said, Mr. Wynn, I can fix it, but listen, you have to keep it in my care. This will not be an overnight fix. You've got to be patient with the surgeon. The reason some of you never get fixed is because you're not patient enough to get fixed. Sometimes it takes more than one altar call to get your hose fixed. Sometimes it takes more than one prayer meeting to get your scars fixed. Sometimes it takes more than just one night of revival to get your mess cleaned up. You've got to be patient with the surgeon. Come on, it's his job. He knows how to take care of it. He knows how to handle it. He knows how to bring Come on, he knows how to restore it. But you've got to be patient with him. Mr. Wynn agrees to keep it at his house. Mr. Wynn gets back in his jet, goes back. Days go by. Weeks go by. Months go by. Mr. Wynn gets a phone call one day, and it's the art surgeon telling him the painting is ready to be picked up. Gets in his jet, goes to the surgeon's house, walks in the house, 
art surgeon shows him the painting, and sure enough, there was no sign of any damage, any scar of any hole in the front. But Mr. Wynn said, when I looked at the back, I could tell it had been damaged. Very carefully takes the painting, puts it back in his jet, goes back to Vegas, puts it back on the wall in his penthouse. Years go by. And in 2013, Mr. Steve Wynn decides he would like to sell the painting again. Guess who he calls? He calls his good friend Stephen Cohen. He says, Steve, I'm going to sell the Larev again. And you were the first one I decided to call. Would you like to buy it? Stephen Cohen's response is, absolutely. Now, years prior, he was willing to dish out $139 million for a painting that was perfect. Here we go. Willing to dish out $139 million for a painting that was never scarred and never damaged, never harmed, was exactly like the Creator made it to be. But now Stephen Cohen knows. Come on, he's not ignorant to the damage, he knows. This is not a perfect painting. This is not in the original condition. This is not like the creator made it to be. So of course, he's not going to dish out $139 million. You know what he pays for it this time? One hundred. And $56 million. The reporter asked him, Cohen, why would you pay more for a painting that you know was damaged than one that was perfect? His response, because this painting now has a story. <laughs> Come on, some of you walk around wounded and scarred and damaged and messed up and you feel like you're used goods. You feel like you're not worth much. Let me tell you, God loves you so much. He doesn't want you in spite of your story. He wants you because of your story. In the hands of God, your story makes you more valuable. Your story makes you more worth it. Your story makes you have a greater price tag.
say it's religion. It's religions that it's religion that's messed up the mind of people that you've got to be perfect and everything's got to be so so precise before God can use you and you're worth anything but you hear me if God doesn't give up on you if the devil doesn't give up on you come on then God won't give up on you I'm here to tell somebody stop being held back because of your wounds stop allowing your mess to keep you held hostage come on stop allowing the hurt to keep you from ministry you are worth a whole lot more now that you're damaged I'm so sick. I'm, I'm so fed up with the spirit of religion. Everything's got to be perfect. And so it makes everybody walk around wearing a mask of perfection. And all we're doing is lying to ourselves. Come on, I don't know who hurts you. I don't know if it was a daddy or a mama or an aunt or an uncle. I don't know if it was I don't know if it was an old pastor in your life or a church you used to go to. I don't know the scars you walk around carrying and the hose that's all over your body, but you hear this evangelist, God loves you enough. He still wants you. He's the first one that got the call. Come on. Because he's the first one that died for you. He's the first one that bled for you. He's the first one that purchased you in the beginning. This is the way the religious sector sings it. When I think of the goodness of Jesus and all he's done for me, my soul cries out hallelujah. Thank God for saving me. But those of us with scars sing it a little different. When I think of the goodness of Jesus and all that he's done for me, my soul cries out hallelujah. Thank God for saving me and saving me me and saving me and saving me and saving if a mercy message offends you you're gonna leave highly offended tonight as long as we got flesh hanging on these bones we need mercy every day of our life we need grace every morning we wake up we need God's love every day Until you hear well done, keep fighting. Until you hear well done, keep plowing. Until you hear well done, stay in the hands of the surgeon.
And, 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 and while I'm on this, God's not the only one should be showing mercy. The only time you are validated to not give mercy is the moment you don't need it. As long as you need mercy, you better give what you need. See, if, if, if there's one thing that traditional Pentecosts don't like, it's the Bible. We like tradition. But we do a lot of stuff that Bible tells us not to do. Oh, we may do Acts 2.38, but we stop there. But that same Bible that teaches us salvation also says if a man falls... What? Those that are spiritual. Wait, wait. Those that are spiritual restored. That's right. That's right. That's his word. I want to get up in your grill so you all can see and hear me right now. That means the only definition in Scripture of someone that's spiritual is not in how long their hair is and how long their dress is or how short their hair is. It's in the ability of restoration. Now, don't you dare leave this house saying Atkins don't believe in holiness. Honey, you don't want me to get on my holy hand candy stick. I'll offend some of you. But you hear me? I'm tired of us walking around looking like we're holy, but not being holy. Looking like we're saved, but not being saved. Acting like we're right without treating people right. I'm done with it. Preacher told me several years ago, Brother Atkins, if they're coming our way, if they're leaving their religion and their doctrine and they're coming our way, I will welcome them with open arms and give them all of my love. But if they were one of us and they leave us good riddance, thought to myself, you jerk, I'm glad you're not my shepherd because the shepherd leaves the ones that stayed to go after the one that left. <laughs> maybe, may it, maybe if we went after those that left as much as we brag on those who came, maybe we wouldn't lose so many.
those angels that was over the Ark of the Covenant, I'm telling you, that Old Testament was a very detailed book. And those angels that was over the ark, that, 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 that was sitting on the mercy seat, the Bible says that their eyes were on the mercy. There was two of them, but their eyes are on the mercy seat. Their eyes are not on each other. Because as soon as you start getting your eyes on each other, you lose mercy. Come on, even God understood. Even angels won't see eye to eye. Even angels won't agree on everything. But if they can keep their eyes on mercy, unity is a whole lot easier under mercy than it is judgment. If... If, if you have ought with your brother, leave your gift at the altar and go tell the general board. Go tell the district officials. No, 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 no. If you have aught with your brother, leave your gift at the altar and go to the one you got issues with. But, but come on, let's be honest. Who does that? Now, you know what we do? We, we run up the phone bill talking about them. Yeah, go home. Go, go ahead with your with your shout and your dance, but your gossip and tongue is going to keep you out of the kingdom of God. If a man in the world named Cohen can spend more for a damaged piece of art. If men being evil know how to give good gifts, how much more shall your heavenly Father Let me talk to somebody right now. It's not God keeping you out. I said it's not God keeping you out. It's yourself keeping you out. Come on, it's your self-condemnation keeping you out. For there is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. He don't condemn, he forgives. He restores, he picks up. If you're not where you want to be in God, it's not God's fault. Come on, be, be, be smarter than what you're acting. Who do you think it is telling you? You've done too much wrong. You're, you're, you've been too abused, not just physically, but emotionally. You've, you've, 
You're just nothing but damaged goods. Who do you think's telling you that? So if I I know my thinking is 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 different, but but if if the devil's telling you you're not good enough, and the devil's telling you you're not worth it. And the devil's telling you God cannot use you. And yet he's the father of lies. And the truth is not in him. Then in my crazy way of thinking, whatever he's saying, the opposite has to be the truth. So if he's telling you you can't, that must mean you can. If he's telling you God won't, that must mean God will. Get those those scriptures. I, I, I'm just curious. I'm just who is it that Jesus can save and Jesus can use? Who? I mean, the Bible must must tell us. It 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 has to be in Scripture. Why he came? The reason he came and who. Who can be numbered among the saved? I'm sorry, Pentecostal, you don't find it in Acts. See how quiet it just got? Because we blame all the other religions of being a one-book-only doctrine. And we do the same thing. So, so, so let's go. Let's take a trip on the Roman road. Yeah, Pentecost. Let's 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 take a trip on that. I mean, that is Bible. It was here long before they got here. Pastor, read read those scriptures I gave. This is the answer. All right. I want to double check my scriptures. Okay. Romans five. Romans five, starting at verse number five. Yes. Bible says in hope. Maketh not ashamed. Hope maketh not ashamed. Because the love of God, love of God is, shed abroad is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Unto who? Unto us. So the verse ends with unto us, but it begins with hope maketh not ashamed. Put it together. The us are those who feel ashamed. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's and good. Romans is saying you get what you need is the Holy Ghost. Yeah. 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 Because that don't uh-huh. that makes you feel accepted. Uh-huh. Yeah. Read on. For when we were yet without strength. Was with what? Without strength. When we were strong. Without strength. No, you you in the Bible? Oh, I'm in the book, brother. You, I'm in the you, book. King James? Uh, King James. That's all I read from. When, when, when we were without strength, what happened? In due time. In due time. Christ died for the ungodly. Whoa, 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 whoa. Right. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> so we're talking about ashamed people. We're talking about ungodly people. Uh-huh. And people that's not strong. Yeah, yeah. But he died for us. 
And in all that mess, and all those scars, and all those bones, Jesus said, that's who I'll die for. Yeah, yeah. For those that are whole need not a physician, but the heart and the ashamed and the abused and the wounded, they need the great physician. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Uh. Read on. Read on. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Uh-huh. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. Yeah. Yeah. But God commendeth his love toward us. Here it is. In that while we were yet sinners, yet Christ what? died. We were yet what? We were yet sinners. Yet what? We were yet sinners. Not saved. Uh-huh. Sinners. Not perfect. Sinners. Not whole. Sinners. While we were yet sinners. Sinners. Hallelujah. Come on, some of you people right now act a, you you act like you never done anything wrong and you never messed up and you never dropped the ball. You go ahead and hide behind that mask. As for me and my house, we're gonna be real. And I thank God when I was messed up, Jesus said, It's okay, Atkins, I'll die for you. I'll shed blood for you. I'll make you whole. You can't make yourself whole. You can't be born perfect. But I got some blood to save the whole world. I got some mercy to pick you up. I got some grace. When you fall, I won't let you drown. Jesus was in the house of Lazarus and Martha. Lazarus is sitting. Martha is serving. Later on, Mary will walk in with an alabaster box of ointment, spikenard. Scripture says very costly. What was inside this alabaster box would be an equivalent to a year's worth of wages. So think about however you make, however much you make in a year. That's what she has in this box. John tells us. Stay with me. John tells us that when she broke the box, she poured the oil on her, on his feet. But Mark, in his account of the same story, it has the oil being poured on his head. So perhaps it was two boxes. One for head, one for feet. But the fact is, she, she broke 
the box. That was a sign of how she felt. I feel broken. Because she was the one that stayed in the house when Jesus came to resurrect Lazarus. She felt like a failure. She felt ashamed and condemned. Because when Jesus came to meet my need, I was too stuck in the house to go meet him. She feels like an absolute sinner. Someone that was labeled a worshiper but now has dropped the ball. She breaks the box, pours oil on him. And the Bible says that when when Jesus rebuked the condemners, he said these words, she has anointed my body to the bearing. point he was making is in those days it was a custom when somebody was ready to die they would anoint the body with oil six days later he's going to die on a cross so Mary maybe Mary did not understand all the detail at the moment but Jesus knew it She is doing to my body what's already going to be done to my body. So there is good reasoning to believe that Jesus did not wash it off. Because nobody else did it. And it was a custom to do it. We look at the cross, we see the blood and we see the scars and we see the nails. But if you really take a look at the way crucifixion really was, there's no clothes on the man. So get the picture. He has no clothes. The only disciple is John. The only company that's there to support him is a band of five people. He has no family. He has no friends. He has no preachers. He has no disciples. He has no clothes. But what he did have was the oil that somebody who felt broken, poured on him. The reason why Jesus told Judas when he said she could have, she could have sold this and, 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 and gave it to the poor, Jesus said, leave her alone. Don't, don't bother her. Come on, he, he didn't say it in words, but his meaning to Judas was, Judas, you're looking at how expensive the box is whole. But what you don't understand, Judas, is you won't be at my cross. Peter won't be at my cross. 
The biggest crowd at my cross will be the one saying, crucify him, crucify him. Peter, Judas, what you don't understand is you're looking at something perfect and something whole having its value. But what you don't understand is the only thing I'm taking to a cross is a broken woman's worship. Because Judas to you, you think it's perfect whole, but to me, it's worth more broken. It's so valuable, I won't wash it off of me. It's so valuable, I'll let it die with me. It's so valuable, I'll take it on a cross with me. The worship you give God in your brokenness is worth a whole lot more than someone does in their wholeness. Raise your hands right now. We need to pray. We need to pray. Musicians, come quick. We need to pray. We need to pray. Oh, God. Come on, someone, someone needs to bring their brokenness right now. You feel hurt, you feel scarred, you feel like you've been dashed in a million pieces. Well, Jesus is in the business of picking up the pieces. He's in the business of putting it all back together. Come on, don't let your damage keep you out of his arms. Don't let your scars keep you away from his love. Don't let your heart rob you of his healing. Your value is in your story. Come on, lift your voice and pray. Your value is in your story. I don't have the right background. I don't come from the right family. I don't have the right last name. You don't need that. Your value is in your story. Your worth is in your brokenness, not your perfection.